welcome to another episode of Death by Bungie, the Talking with Bungie, the podcast associated with Death by Bungie. I am Rich Wilson, and I am so excited to share this episode of Talking with Bungie with you. Recently, those of you who follow the YouTube channel, and that's all of you, right? You should be following the YouTube channel. You should subscribe on YouTube to Death by Bungie because it's free and because it's awesome and because it's crossbows and it's crossbow hunting. Those of you who are subscribed to the Death by Bungie YouTube channel know two things, two recent themes of those videos. And those are, number one, that I am making some serious efforts to hunt in state game lands in the 2020 crossbow seasons. Here in Pennsylvania, I am actually going to try and harvest a deer, kill a deer, take a deer off of the state game lands. It's just something I've wanted to do. It's a project that is now underway, and I'm scouting. I'm going out there, and I'm doing vlogs on the YouTube channel, having a great time taking my daughter around there, going around and looking at the state game lands, having a great time learning an awful lot. In the context of doing that in those videos, you might have noticed that I have solicited the help of Friends of Bungie. I've asked for input on what I have posted in those videos. I've asked for tips from people who might have a little bit more experience. It's very easy to have a little bit more experience in that subject than I have because I have almost none. <laughs> so I really do appreciate the feedback that I've gotten and the tips that have been suggested. One of those folks, one of those friends of Bungie, is Eric Barnes, Dual Threat Outdoorsman on YouTube and on his Facebook page. If you want to check those out, I urge you to do so. You can't have enough of this stuff. It is great stuff, that's for sure. But he and this upcoming podcast offers some great information, tons of it. This is a dump of information like no other. I learned a lot during our phone calls and in our preparations for this episode of Talking with Bungie. I learned a lot when I was editing the podcast, and I'm going to listen to it again and again to make sure that I absorb all of the information he has suggested. And in fact, he's probably coming back. Now, the reason I've already heard all of this, the reason I'm telling you that, that I've already heard it and that I've already edited it, is because I actually recorded this podcast down in Maryland. Those of you, and that was my second point, those of you who are subscribed to the YouTube channel will know that I have recently uh, gone to Maryland with my family, took my wife and our daughter down there to Maryland to, we went to Ocean City for the weekend there and spent a little time on the beach, got a chance to walk around. It's very cold this time of year, obviously, because this was in uh, February when we were down there. We went down there to retrieve the taxidermy mount, the eight-point buck that I shot in Maryland in 2019, in October of 2019. So that mount turned out great. The video turned out great. It was a lot of fun. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've watched it. But I sat in a hotel room down there making further good use of my time and spoke on the phone with Eric Barnes. That, friends of Bungie, is this podcast. Here goes. Thank you very much for taking that time out of your schedule and taking time to talk with me on Talking with Bungie. Hey, not a problem. We're just looking forward to it tonight. Me too. Now, we've gone back and forth. You've been uh, commenting on the Facebook page. You've been uh, on the YouTube channel, that sort of thing, for a while. How far back do we go as far as online communication? When I first discovered you, I saw your channel, and uh, I think the first video of yours I watched was, uh, I think it was your 2016 PA Archery Buck that uh, sure, you okay. shot on your ground. And I, yeah. and I really appreciate that video because, as I'll get into a little later, you know, I, I, I appreciate videos like that more than 
a lot of the mainstream hunting because I, I don't think the mainstream hunting relates to 90% of the hunters with, you know, huge, with that, without those huge budgets and huge properties. So I, I actually like that stuff. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do too with my stuff. So I am still waiting for my 200 inch buck to step out and give me a shot. I'm, I'm still waiting on that. So I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> now you are active on Facebook and YouTube. You have your own channel. Is that right? Go for outdoorsman. Uh, me and two buddies of mine, um, Basically, you know, we, we're working on getting filming gear, but we basically cover some hunting and fishing stuff. That's where the dual part of the outdoorsman comes into. So, oh, okay, all right. And you're based out of the Williamsport area. Yep, I live in Williamsport currently. I grew up in Cogan Station, which is just north of Williamsport here. But uh, yeah, I've lived in this area my whole life. That's Lycoming County, Pennsylvania. For folks who are out of towners, we from Pennsylvania folks lots of times refer to ourselves as what county we're from. So uh, you're a county or two away from me. I think Sullivan County separates you and I, if I had to guess. Yeah, you're in Bradford. Yep, yep. Northeastern Pennsylvania. So you're north central, I'd say, probably is how we describe that, you think? Yeah give people an idea where we're at here describe for me the topography down there the geography the the woods that that kind of what's the lay of the land down there if you can give us sort of a uh, an idea of what that looks like for people who may not be familiar with that part of the world yeah so i mean public land you know varies from state to state even county to county but um in lycoming county we're looking at 90 percent or more flat out hill country um very little, uh, very little food plots from the game commission. Um, mostly just acorns and browse that they feed on. So there's very, very little food on these. And you're, uh, you're using benches and saddles to your advantage for setups and tops and stuff like that. So, which I'll get into more, but. So, it, and it's not flat where we're at here. There's a few spots, but, but mo for the most part, it's pretty much all hill country. I mean, it's flat on top, but you got to, you usually have to do a lot of climbing up elevation. Right. And now your, most of your hunting background, is it from that area? Area, yes. Um, I actually have only been, I've been public land hunting about five years now. I actually didn't really get into it hardcore till about 2015. Um, before that, I was all public, uh, all private, but uh, yeah. Okay. And ha tell me about your background, your hunting history, your back hunting background, that sort of thing. How'd you get started in hunting and have you been hunting your whole life? How's that been? How's that been? Pretty much. Um, I, Unfortunately, I was not one of the younger younger people lucky enough to have the mentoring law, which I think has been great. Um, yeah. So I had to wait until I was 12. Um, and the, my first three seasons, I was just actually two seasons. No, actually, no, that would be first four seasons from age uh, uh, 12. No, no, it's two. Sorry. From 12 to 13, I was strictly rifle. Um, that's what my dad was into. Um, he used to bow hunt, but my, my, dad's, my dad was an older gentleman, so he... Uh, he kind of got out of like the, the long hikes and stuff. And he, he, we were part of a cabin at the time and he has a little four acres that I still hunt to this day. Um, so that's kind of where I started. And then from age 14 to 15, I kind of got into archery slowly with a crossbow. My dad bought one for himself, but I was kind of interested in, you know, more time to hunt. So I shot a doe each two seasons with that. And then age 16, I got a cheaper compound, shot that for six seasons. And I've kind of got some of the more advanced bows now that I'm out of college and working to make an all right money now. So, Okay. So you've actually, you grew up in an era where it wasn't too long after you got into hunting that crossbows became legalized, at least as hunting implements for everybody here. In yeah. Um, I'm not sure if they were legal when I was 12, because I, I, I got to be honest, I wasn't really paying that close attention back then. Sure. But at least, at least by age 14, which would have been in 2007, um, 
they were definitely legal then. Um, so yeah, I never was really, um, consciously aware when people were fighting for that right and that opportunity. So they've, they've pretty much always been, I pretty much did grow up with them. Yeah. That's great. Uh, as an option, you grew up with them. So were you successful with a crossbow? Just out of curiosity, did you have some successful hunts with that? Yeah, I killed, I killed a doe each in the first two years. Um, that, but pretty much those years I was just hunting that little four inch piece that I hunt still to this day. And there's just kind of a past career. There's very little habitat improvement we, that could be done there. Yeah. Um, just because of how small it is, but I feel probably that's probably the property I've taken the most deer off of in my life. But uh, isn't that something? And it's a family, like it's something. It's a cabin property. That that's just my my mom and dad's home property. Uh, oh, that's great. As a part of a development. That's great. Now, did the deer that you shot, um, deer that you've shot there over the years, do they stay on that property after you take a shot, or did you have to track them onto the neighbors, or how did that work? A few I've had to track them to the neighbors, but. Um, we're, we're pretty good friends with the one neighbor and as long as we give a call and say, Hey, you know, I hit one, you know, they're, they're, they're cool with it. You know, just as long as we give them the heads up, which is, you know, that's very fair. So, uh, but there's been some where, yeah, they haven't made it that far. So that's, that's always nice. But. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Can't ask for better than that. Especially when you're playing ahead a little bit, get comfortable with the neighbors, make those arrangements. You can't beat that. Nope. Now in recent years, you've had some good success on public land. Uh, can you tell me about your hunts and the deer you've shot on public land? Yeah. So it's that, believe it or not, my total is only at three, but that's by choice. That's not by opportunity. Um, so this kind of the original birth was in 2013. I uh, went up there to do some drives with my buddy, who's one of my buddies on my channel and one of my best friends that I still hunt with to this day. Um, and I shot a nice doe there. And before that, I will be honest, I had a preconceived notion about public land that just because of the way I kind of was, I would hunt it sporadically before. And, you know, Again, with my dad being older, you know, he couldn't do a lot of stuff he used to do. So we weren't really in that far, and we were just kind of in an open area. We can see a lot, and I never saw a deer there. So I kind of developed this notion of, you know, public land stinks. I'm not – I didn't want to get into it. And uh, I went up to do the drive and, uh, you know, shot a doe. And I was like, oh, this – you know, maybe there's more deer here than I realized and kind of put that on the back shelf of my mind. Well, fast forward to bow season of 2015, um, you know, I was hunting a permission property – cabin i used to be a part of in my parents and i hadn't shot a buck yet this year actually i didn't shoot a deer yet at that point in the season 2015 that same buddy calls me up uh it was november 6th he gave me calls like hey you want to hunt uh up to the public land where you know we did doe drives at before uh just take some climbers in you know my dad found some sign up there whatever and i'm i, I was really like oh man you know <laughs> I, I i don't know because i i know we shot them on drives but but actually sitting there and hoping they come by especially with a bow where you need to be in close range i'm like I eventually reluctantly agreed to because I still had a week left in the season. Right. So the, November 7th comes, and it was awesome because I don't know if you remember that year. That year, uh, we had like 70-degree temps for the whole week, and that morning dropped to 40. Oh, and, okay, uh, okay. And you maybe you don't. I, I kind of can remember that stuff easily. But uh, And we get up there, we get set up, and we you know p we picked areas we wanted to sit, and we all took climbers up. And uh I shot a 90-inch 10-point, which is my first archery buck that morning. Oh, um, wow. My buddy's dad shot with a crossbow. He shot a uh, – we didn't get a score, but we're guessing about 105, 110-inch 8-point. And my buddy had a chance at a really big buck that he never got a clear shot with a bow at. So we saw three bucks that morning. Wow. And dropped two <laughs> out of the woods. And I was like, okay, this is real. i got to look more into this. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. you know, from 2016 to 2018, you know, we – we did some more scouting in that specific area because that's, you know, where they've done drives. That's where they now we one of the main spots we hunt. And uh, I didn't shoot a buck those three years, but I passed on multiple legal ones. Um, 
I'm kind of a guy right now, my standards, I'm kind of going for an, uh, a nicer two and a half or preferably a three and a half. That's just my personal preference right now with my hunting development. Um, sure, sure. So uh, passed on a lot of like small six points and, you know, a lot, a lot of six points. They're most of the legal buck I've seen up there. And so a couple small eights that were like not even like 10 inches wide. Um, so I really was just getting intel and seeing where deer moved. And like 2018 was the year where I had some giants on camera and I even had them in daylight. I just was picked the wrong tree to sit in. Yeah. Um, okay. And then this past season, things came together. I uh, had some, again, had a couple of big bucks on camera, which I didn't get a big one, but I, I shot it. I did shoot an 85 at eight point. So it's a, a fair typical two and a half year old buck on the uh, last Saturday of October. Right before okay. a rainstorm going into work and scrape, which was an awesome experience. Um, so that and I again this past year especially, I, there's a lot of sits where I've seen, you know, I passed up three legal bucks this year, and I saw plenty of doe, which I kind of wish I would have shot now and not been lazy, not to do the drag, but I passed up because of the drag. I'm like, listen, if I'm shooting something back here, it's a bucket. So, <laughs> you know, whatever, because I love deer meat too, so I definitely still doe tags, but. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at today, and I'm kind of now trying to just, as we did last year, just try to add some more spots to our arsenals just to, you know, bats around and keep the pressure low, which I'll talk about as we go on here. So And, give yeah, give yourself more options. You can't beat that. Yeah. Now, when you talk about preconceived notions, I hear you because I had the same sort of uh, stigma, you know, growing up here as far as that was concerned. The public lands here were for basically out-of-towners are the ones who would frequent that area. And and I grew up, of course, I mean, that was at least the reputation, accurate or not. And I grew up having access to family land, that sort of thing. So, you know, me hunting on private property was a no-brainer. That's just how it worked growing up. But as you get older and you're looking for more options, like you said, one of the things that I really was surprised by, which shattered that preconceived notion, was walking around when I started scouting with some serious intent to hunt on state game lands, I see the... I, I realized pretty quickly that focusing on food like I do on private property was not going to be the big... Uh, the best idea because they're just acorns and they're spread out all over the place and they've done a pretty good job managing the properties and keeping mass producing trees there. So food isn't going to be as much of a focus. And I started to think, well, maybe bedding areas, that should be my focus. And based on your comments, I think I got from you on your YouTube, on my YouTube video, one of my vlogs I did of those scouting trips. Uh, I think you agree with me on that, or at least sense that that's probably a good tactic. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, not only do I agree, I, I don't care if you're on a, even if I was hunting a public land around here with the pressure we get in PA that has, you know, active ag and active crops, like if, if the game commission was actually playing stuff, I still would not hunt over that. Because with the pressure that we have here, you know, these deer are not, from my experience, I mean, if somebody else has found a little honey hole with a food like that, you know, awesome. But my experience, unless you're in a secluded area of, you know, some red briar, um, uh, browse and some, or, or really secluded an acorn flat with a lot of thick cover around, you know, you're probably not going to see a deer coming out and, fe and feeding like it would on a food plot on a, on a nice piece of, of private ground. Um, right. So what I try to focus on is uh, trails that are coming out of thick stuff that are just like, cause that's somewhere they could move from and actually getting into bedding areas. And there's, there's pretty much, um, if you want to get this now or later, there's pretty much three strategies I have throughout the season and the, during the PA archery season on public ground. 
Okay, let's get into that, actually. That's the next question on my list here. Different areas that you're looking for in public land and the different times of year when that might be important. Now, you're going to be sharing some pretty good information here, and I thank you for that. Certainly don't feel obligated to describe it in too much detail. I don't want anybody uh, honing in on your spots there in Lycoming County. <laughs> oh, as, as long as I don't give the coordinates or the game land numbers and spot. I mean, these are... These are strategies you can take anywhere. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, that's what I'm really hoping to get out of this as well, because this is going to be an educating uh, conversation for me as well here as I'm looking into this myself. Um, so, you know, basically the three seasons during the archery season are early season into the October lull, um, pre-rut and rut. Those are pretty much the, the main three seasons to focus on. So in that order, you know, with early season in the lull, um, you know, the first week I really, you know, I've, I've actually learned from some people who've been doing this longer than me and been successful because this is actually my weakness of these three areas. I'm going to admit that to everybody here. Um, you got to focus on food around the cover and the entrances to that food. Um, if you find a good buck bedding area, uh, which right. is hard. That is actually really hard to find. But if you can find some secluded food, and again, I don't know, I'm obviously taught I'll be, this podcast will be listened to by trophy hunters, meat hunters, and someone in the middle like me. Um, you know, so this applies to everybody. Sure. Food around cover early season is huge, especially in the evenings. I mean, you know, you can kill a deer like opening day or and you can kill morning deer, but evenings I feel are really your best bet for these first two phases, especially early season coming out at bedding. Um, so that's what I focus on early season, like any, any secluded red briar, uh, clear cut area. That's, uh, uh, any, any thick cover like that. Um, they'll be feeding that in the clear cut and also obviously acorns. Now, some public lands, you will find that occasional apple tree, which I have not found yet. I've heard so much about it. <laughs> if you find that, <laughs> that's gold. Um, Cause I know a few people who have, and you know, I haven't prided for that information who's respectful, but they're there. They're just hard to find. There's not many of them, Right. but the common ones that are relatively easy to find are those clear cuts with the red briar and the, uh, you know, those acorn flats that are not just open hardwoods that are like, you know, you might have like a 20 to 40 yard wide area surrounded by thick laurel. That's somewhere you would see a deer feeding at. In that early part of the season. Yep. Or, and again, if you're, if you're hunting and you're not getting movement till after dark, you have to get down from the tree lake, you know, go down that trail a little bit further. Um, yeah. yeah. Closer to the bedding. I think one of the reasons you're going to find that, if I'm not mistaken, you probably agree with me that it, we hear about deer being crepuscular creatures, you know, they move at dawn and they move at dusk. And then they're, I think that what we're targeting here is find out where they're spending their daylight hours, where they spend most of that time. And then they're going to get on their feet close to dark. You just got to be close to them because if you're too far away, they're just, they don't have time to get to you and expose themselves while the sun's still up is what it comes down to. It's just a timing issue more than anything in that early season, it sounds like. Absolutely. Okay, so let's move on. What about the pre-rut when we're talking about that? And if you can give us an idea here in northeastern Pennsylvania, what time of year that's going to sort of encompass. And it's going to vary from one area to the other, I get. But Yes. So I've developed this opinion on that, and I've seen this for a fact. And, you know, there's, you know, there's the argument of, you know, the rut happening at the same time every year, which I, I do now agree with with some caveats. You know, because the fetus tests show, you know, that deer, do, you know, does typically get bred at that same, the same time every year, that end of the first week, beginning of the second week of November. Yeah. But, but one thing I will say, though, yes, the breeding occurs at the same time, but, you know, some years when the full moon's during the peak of the rut and the new moon's during the uh, pre-rut and vice versa, you know, sometimes I'll see a better pre-rut some years with activity and some years I'll see a better rut depending on the moon. Because, again, the breeding's still happening at the same time, but the daylight activity and Crete seems to be better with the moon. 
I'm not saying that's, you know, a fact. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying if it's, you know, November 7th is a full moon don't hunt. No, you're still going to probably see some activity, but I think the levels change. Right. And I think you, you hit, on, hit the nail on the head before, too. Like before we got this recording, I think we were talking. I don't know that we recorded it yet as part of the podcast. But you had told me about some successes you'd had when the weather was extremely cold. You had a drop in temperature. All of a sudden, deer got on their feet. And that's just another factor. We got barometer, temperature, the moon. You know, if deer are, if there's a full moon and a clear sky and they're on their feet all night long, they don't feel quite as they don't feel as, as though they need to be on their feet all day either. The next day so that's going to affect things sure i i'm with you on that now but they, but i'll get into that a little bit more here with the pre-rut so but to answer your first question the pre-rut typically in our area you know that typically will start october 24th october 25th and run till about november 2nd or 3rd okay so that's about a you know a 7 to 14 day window i'm not trying to do that math in my head but uh <laughs> um so and you know the buck i shot this year is an absolute prime example of that um, and that was actually a front buck too. You know, the buck I shot this year, um, I was going to save this spot for like closer to Halloween, but I'm like, I'm going to hunt this because there was a rainstorm coming. It wasn't supposed to hit until right at dark, but it actually came right out, like right after I shot my buck. Oh, okay. And it came in, in to work. What I'm about to talk about is scrape hunting. Pre-rut, it's all about scrapes. Um, you know, it's exciting to see a lot of, a lot of rubs in, in the area. Um, you know, everybody's said about the, a buck rub, but the, the fact of the matter is, in my opinion, from my experience in trail cam pictures, a lot of them happen at, most of them happen after dark. And also it's one buck. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's not, a, there's not like a, a, a local scrape hub where one buck will rub a tree and then some other buck will come rub that. That doesn't happen, but with rubs, I'm sorry, but with scrapes, that is huge. Um, you know, I had a trail cam in the area. I shot my buck this year. And even the week after I had three or four different bucks uh, hitting that. And two of them were during the day um, during legal shooting hours. So if you can find those scrapes that are now, there's two types of scrapes. There's nighttime and daytime. If you find nighttime scrapes, they're most likely, you know, in a super open oak flat where you can see 200 yards, you know, that's, a, that's typically a nighttime. Scrape. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. But that's just because that area lends itself to nighttime activity. It doesn't lend itself to daytime activity and security. Sure. When you're hunting pressured deer like that, you know, they're not going to expose themselves like that because they smelled human scent from whatever, you know, they, they know the game to an extent. So they're, that's, they're not going to move like that when it's laid out. Now, the scrapes I key on, though, are scrapes surrounded by security cover, whether it's thick brush or, or laurel, which is really common in this area. You know, if you go down a trail and you see like four or five scrapes and you can't see more than 20 yards from the trail, you need to be hunting that. Oh, yeah. In October. Oh, yeah. Um, th those are gold. Um, laurel, and, and just so for people that aren't familiar with our area, the laurel, you're talking about mountain laurel. Yep. And that is our state flower, state plant, I guess. I can tell you our recent scouting here in January and February on state game lands, when I come across mountain laurel, it still has its leaves and it's still green. Yep. Yep. So that's that's thick habitat right there. Right. And I'll be honest with you, Rich, I've uh, I got to be honest, this has probably become, with especially capping off of this year, my favorite time to hunt because, you know, which I'll talk about the rut more in a second, but, you know, the rut can be a lot of really random activity where, you know, because there's a day I had I shot in the rut two years ago. I saw 12 doe, not one buck, because either the, the other bucks in the air were doed up or some of these doe were either already had been in heater or whatever. So the I, I feel this the, the pre rut you can really count on those bucks making those scrapes looking for the and just just cruising for estrus does. Um, I think I think for if you're looking for a buck 
in my opinion, that's the best time to hunt. And even, you know, even, even when the weather's a little warmer, that, that testosterone is building, they don't care as much. Mm-hmm. So you can get away with a lot more hunting crappier weather, like warmer, bad deer weather than early season. But again, if you have a front hit, it's still money. Oh yeah. Because, yeah. So that's, that's my assessment on the pre-rut, which I think is a very underrated time. Because all you hear about is the rut, the rut, the rut. You can't overlook the pre-rut. I mean, it's it's good. Yeah. Yeah, that time around Halloween for me is gold. That's like you use that word gold. That That's what it is to me. When I look at um, that time of year, I mean, that's when I get excited about being out there. And just from my anecdotal personal experience, um, without knowing as much about this stuff, I've seen the, the activity to me tends to taper off after that. There's a lot of factors that, that go into this too, because at that's when all the hunters are also coming out and they start, the deer start hearing the car doors slam. That's when the deer start seeing people walk through the woods and they get more exposure that way too. So, and, and I can even get into that with, you know, getting a regular rut, you know, with this year, this year happened to be a year where that new moon hit during the pre-rut. And mm-hmm. that, from that time frame, that's when I had the most, bucks and shooter bucks on camera at any point in the season this year nice um yeah. i had a few on camera after the fifth um but other than two all of them were like after dark nocturnal um and that in these are spots which are, which are normally I've, I've had bucks on camera during daylight or seen bucks during the rut um so the rut you know the rut what i look for pretty much the main two things i look for are a pinch point where you have two trails intersecting from bedding areas because that's somewhere where a buck could get on a, a doe's trail and actually three things to get on a doe's trail and chase um just corridor there's there's one spot i call the corridor and just with tip as kind of a nickname i gave it where it's you can see about 40 yards and surrounded by thick stuff and deer just run it back and forth and that's that that's that spot i did see 12 doe at and then consequently that was two years ago when the season on monday the 12th i didn't hunt there monday the 12th and i should have i had a giant seven come by because i was thinking i hunted that saturday i'm thinking there's a lot of doe you know, and I, I should have kept hunting it I should have, because one of them does was, and that, that buck came in set checking for does on camera. I'm like, oh my gosh, I was so mad at myself that year. <laughs> there you go. Live and learn, right? Oh yeah. Yep. But this year it came together. But uh, yeah, and the third area is doe bedding, down, hunting downwind of a doe bedding area. Because, you know, whether there's doe in there or not, there's bucks that are going to cruise there and check that. I actually found a doe bedding area in the public ground I hunt uh, last week scouting. And uh, I found doe beds in there. And it was like a real little logging road, old logging road that comes by. I'm like, man, this would be money during the rut. So those are the three areas you really want to key in on during the rut. Okay. And again, um, again, I'm not saying don't hunt during the full moon because obviously, you know, the rut, you can always get lucky. But I do think the rut is a little more uh, chance than the pre-rut because the pre-rut, I think, I think you're a little more predictable. Whereas the rut, you know, any of them areas, you could, you could sit somewhere three days in a row not see anything and then sit there the fourth day and you have three bucks come by, you know, gotcha. it's, it, it, it's still a great time to hunt. Don't get me wrong, but I think a lot of people over prioritize it like way high above early season and especially above the pre-rut. So right. that, that's kind of how I hunt those three seasons. Okay. Now let's talk about, we've talked about the, the your tactics and strategies, what you're looking for and going out in there and doing that you know, during those different parts of the season. But let's talk briefly about postseason scouting and preseason scouting. What do you like? Why? How? When is the best time to go out there and determine these three different areas? Well, funny you mention that because I kind of had an unproductive uh, scouting day today. Because oh. I didn't, I didn't realize how much snow was on the ground. Oh, still, yeah. You get up in the mountains and it does not melt like it does. Yeah, yeah. At home, you're looking at your yard and your yard's getting ready to be mowed, and you know, you get up in the mountain, and you can't even park there. 
Right. I was driving <laughs> through this area. I'm like, oh, great. The snow's melted. I get like, you know, a little ways off the mountain. I'm like, ah, oh, dang it. So, but, uh, you know, because postseason scouting, you want the ground to be dry so you can see old scrapes, tracks, heavy beaten trails, because the, the deer's trails in the late season with the snow on the ground are not going to be the same as during the season. Um, right. So, uh, you know, because it, I, the, the biggest thing I like about postseason is, one, you see the foliage is down. So, you know, when it gets close to that pre-rut time, you know, you can find trees that, that you know, okay, they're still covered here for me to hunt because you could you can hunt a tree with a climber, hang on or whatever in the first week of the season and be like, oh, this tree has lots of cover. Well, when them leaves drop, you're sticking out like a sore thumb and could get picked before you can even get a shot off, regardless mm-hmm. of your weapon. Right. So that's a huge thing to look at. Um, and one thing I have found, too, is back to the pre-rut, is I've found that there are certain scrapes where the deer hit them every year, year after year. You can pretty much count on clockwork for them to be those ones of security cover. You can count on them to be hit every year and and count on de- at least decent hunting there during the pre-rut. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. finding those old scrapes huge for me. Um, so that's that's what I look for mostly, and I do think that's a little more valuable in the preseason because preseason, like, and I fell in this trap before as well. The first few years I hunted public ground, you know, I put out cameras in you know June, July, and you know I I check them before season. I'm like, oh shoot, I have this buck coming in, this buck coming in, three four times a week. Well, as soon as they send that velvet, they're not there anymore. And right, I right. Oh, yeah. People, yeah. I think a lot of people make that mistake of thinking, you know, they have this buck on camera during the summer and they have that early season. Then that's not an early season spot for whatever, you know, topographical or food reason. Right. Um, so I'm not saying that that preseason that that preseason isn't valuable, but you know, you can't see last year's sign anymore and. You know, if you, I would say if you still find like a hot trail or something or food sources, you know, that's good for that. But I really prioritize postseason over preseason personally. When you talk about cameras, a couple of quick observations there. I totally agree with you because I can remember how excited I would get having all these bucks. And you know, they're in bachelor groups. They're going around with velvet. There's three or four really nice bucks that I would be proud to hang on the wall. And then if I had, once the velvet comes off, if I even got a picture of those deer again, it was at nighttime. So they're like, it could be totally unrealistic. Those, it is great to have because motivation is important, right? And I also think that it tells you what the deer want at that time of year. And you get to see what, what your property is doing or what that location is doing to hold those deer later into the season. So that's important information. Yeah. And actually, I think the most important thing with that is too, is it tells you that that deer is in that area. Like that general area. Right. So you so you just have to know, okay, I can't hunt where I have this camera, but maybe if I go in the woods another three, four hundred yards yep. into the cover more, you know, maybe he's bedding there. You know, so that gives you kind of the your first intel and then from there you gotta do a little more work before season. Right. The days are getting shorter and that buck is gonna shrink his home range. He's gonna not gonna be traveling quite as long far as he did while the you know, when the sun's setting at eight, nine o'clock at night. Until the rut, yes. Yeah. Yep. Until then. Then you don't know and that's an, uh, even more another good reason to have those cameras out there early season is to have that idea. So you do have somewhat of a loose inventory of who you might see expect to see show up and we get closer to that. But you got to put it in perspective. Don't build your whole career and your whole plan your whole season around what you see on those early season camera pictures, <laughs> you know, the preseason camera pictures. But so when we talk about the scouting, is there any other things that you're looking for preseason versus postseason? Is there is that, uh, you know, are there other things that you're actually looking for when you're out there postseason other than you're, you're looking at last year's scrapes, rubs, trails, that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm, I'm, that's pretty much the gist of it. I mean, I'm looking for 
you know, sign left last year. And, you know, there have been a few times where I found sign that wasn't present the next year, but eight, nine times out of 10, it's usually something you can count on like clockwork. Um, but again, you need that snow gone. Like this year, I did this today. I just kind of, kind of saw the lay of this land. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to come back here again, but it was still, you know, a good four mile walk. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I gotcha. I, you know, totally motivated to get out there every week was my plan. And then when the snow came here, I realized I can't even drive to get, you know, like you said, to get close enough to get that done. I hear you talking about cameras quite a bit. Now we're not just talking about cameras on private property. So you do put trail cameras out on public ground. Yeah, I run about 10 a year. Um, I do always use that Python cable lock um, just to just for peace of mind, which knock on wood. I mean, the spots I've been hunting, I've never, well, there's one time I had a hunter on camera and that, and that was, that was it. And they just walked by and didn't really notice the camera. And that was preseason. That wasn't even during season. Um, so I pretty much lock it. And basically what I do is, you know, I want to go to some cell cameras this year. I don't know how many I'm going to go to, but for people without cell cameras, which I'll still have some that won't have, won't be cell cameras. Um, my, my pretty much strategy is I get it out from like turkey season, May, no, no later than like mid July. And I let that marinate all summer and I check it pretty much about the first week or so of September. And I try to do it on a rainy day because that washes away a lot of your set. And I'm a big set control guy, but I don't go all out for checking cameras during preseason. Yep. Um, I just don't. Um, but, uh, and then also what season hits, you know, I don't check that camera until I'm hunting that, that area that day. Um, I personally, I always mark my cameras on on X so I know where I'm going. But if it's like, if like, if it's the spot where I shot, well, if I shot my buck last year, I'm definitely going to hunt that again this year if I'm not tagged out by then. Yeah. But the, I'll, I'll check that camera in September to kind of get an inventory because usually the bucks aren't there by then. It's pretty much a two week spot and I'll go back and, you know, if, if I don't have a cell camera there, you know, I'll go back when I want to hunt it, check it and see if the activity is picking up because pretty rut and rut, I will hunt areas more than once. But, uh, yeah, I, pretty much my rule of thumb is, you know, check it once, twice, the most before season, and then don't check until you're going to hunt it. Because every time you make an intrusion, whether it's your sound or whatever you leave behind, you know, that, you know, the, the more of that, the more you're pushing deer out and alerting them that, hey, you know, I'm hunting you. And it's not just our intrusion when we're talking about public ground. We've, we've got to sort of factor in that there are other people trampling around there, too, who are going to stink up the place a little bit now and then. And you have to accommodate that as well and expect that. Yeah, and that's one thing I actually want to discuss, too. I actually I apologize for not mentioning this too earlier, but uh, that's huge, too. Um, actually, that's one thing I look for in both post and preseason as well is, you know, if I see, for me, if I see an area with a tree stand, like because there are some people who – do kind of leave stands or leave, you know, whatever, which is they're not supposed to do it, but they do it, um, whatever. Um, if I see that, or especially during season, if I see that, I, I don't hunt it. And I, because I don't know how good their second tour regimen is. I don't know how often they're in there doing whatever. You know, I, I leave that alone because I'm like, well, if they're going to screw it up, I'm going to be over here, you know, when they're pushing deer over here. Um, and I try to find, I just, I just personally like finding my own areas too. Um, because with public, I am typically in at minimum a half mile up to two miles back gotcha. off the road. I mean, I have heard, you know, guys like Dan Infault saying, you know, you can kill deer off the road. And that's one thing I haven't really found yet. Um, maybe one day that'd be cool. Cause that'd save me a lot of legwork, but I like the spot I shot my buck. I had to go half mile straight up the side of a mountain, which, you know, no self-respecting person would do because <laughs> when I get to the top, I'm like, man, if I don't kill something today, my body's going to hate me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And even when I shot my buck dragging the back three hours, I was like, my body's like, Oh, when's this going to be over? <laughs> but when I got in the truck and drove, I was like, I'm glad I'd do that again in the heartbeat. Yep, and then, yep. you know, go, on, go another half mile in from the top. Um, getting back in there a ways is key. 
you know, typically. I'm not again, there are those cases where you can find those spots close to the road, usually not close to parking, but close to the road that are overlooked. But in my experience they're a lot harder to find and I do better when I get off the beaten path and find those topographical changes and scout for the sign. When we talk about that pressure too, pushing you a little bit deeper into the woods than maybe other people are willing to go, does that sort of put a priority on archery season, on public ground over the rifle season, that sort of thing? Yes. Um, I, you know, I, like I said, I grew up rifle hunting and I, I still, I'll still go out if I have eggs to fill, but I just enjoy hunting with a bow a lot more. But in addition to that, you know, if you look at most public lands, I mean, you'll run into some other hunters during archery, but compared to like during rifle, it's not even close. You know, rifle season, you're just, if you can, you're like people are doing drives, people are, which I'm, nothing wrong with that, but it's, it's a lot harder to get away from the pressure um, because archery, you know, you can have an area pretty much yourself to hunt until gun season comes. Once rifle season hits, I mean, it's, it's a crap. It's totally, I think rifle is a lot more luck than archery. Archery, you can get into an area and either wait for the phase of season or pattern the buck and hunt them. Whereas uh, rifle, you're just, you're just trying to get away from people and uh, hoping they buck deer to you. So, right. yeah, I think that's a lot. Uh, you, you can use your head a lot more in both season and rifle season, in my opinion, just kind of roll the dice. Where are people moving deer today? You know? Right. Uh, you'd mentioned scent free. I'm a big proponent of hunting scent free. I think playing the wind is very important. I think everybody should try and do that, but I think it's not necessarily a guarantee when we're getting in and out of the woods because I, you know, I look at my phone, that's going to be the predominant wind. Then I get out there and it changes every 10 minutes. It's blowing from a different direction. You find that too? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm <laughs> actually a brand ambassador for scent lock. I, okay. I'm a huge believer in that activated carbon and I'm not just doing it for like you know, the discounts and stuff. I, I truly believe it. I've seen results the last two years. Um, the buck I shot this year wasn't directly downwind, but the wind had been swirling in that area. So my son had blown into the area he walked through at some point and he did not know I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, do, I also try to hunt the predominant wind when I can, but I cannot tell you how many times I say, okay, I'm going to sit in this tree, northwest wind in my face. I pull out some milkweed 30 minutes later, it's, it's blowing southeast. And yeah. it's blowing southwest. It's like, you know, especially when you're in the hills, because with those changing elevations, you get a lot of wind swirl and stuff like that. Yeah. My opinion is, you know, I'll try to hunt the prevailing wind, but I know, you know, some days it'll work. Like, like I will say, the, you know, the little uh, forager piece of my parents I hunt, that's typically always like a south wind blowing right in my face from the permanent stand I have there. Yeah. Like that, that seems to be, but, but on public, I mean, I can't tell you how many times the wind's changed. Yeah, I, I experienced the same thing. I'll tell you, I can sit over a food plot. I've been in Maryland before looking over big fields, and the wind just is always constant, the same, you know, whether it's low, whether it's high speed, whatever. It's always exactly the same. But I've been over, I've sat in the hemlocks on the property where I grew up, for example, down there in the bottom. And I've, I can remember even this season sitting there thinking the left side of my face is cold. And then five minutes later, the right side of my face is cold. And that's just telling me the wind is shifting and it's blowing each way. <laughs> and I'm not, just try, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a little pitch here, but I'm just giving my, my honest opinion. Like I said, I'm, I'm a brand ambassador for Stentlock and it's not because I mean, don't get me wrong, my discounts are nice, but I truly believe in the product. You know, right, it's it's, it's a discount for a product you'd be purchasing anyway. I totally yes. get that. Yeah. Um, I, I tried it last year, 2018, and then this year I kind of went gung-ho and got a bunch of suits. And you know, I'm wearing a fa- drop-down face mask to cover my mouth, cover my breath, um, gloves, jacket, pants, and rubber boots. So, 
I'm right there with you. I have my regimen as well. And to me, there's no reason, it doesn't make sense to me to argue over just playing the wind versus scent free, scent regimen, scent free regimen, that sort of thing. To me, there's no reason why you can't do both. <laughs> there's just no reason, just do them both. So that way you're covering all the bases. Yep. We have one other topic to discuss, Eric. I want to talk to you about briefly, you being a fellow Pennsylvanian here, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania has seen fit recently to give us three different days to hunt on a Sunday. And I want to get your take on that topic. What can you tell me? What do you think about that? I, I think it's awesome, personally. I mean, and I will say this as for me, you know, I am I'm a lifelong, pretty much lifelong for most of my life Christian. I attend church most weeks that I'm not working. Um, and even with that, you know, I, I still believe we, we should have that right to choose how we want to um, spend our free time, you know, even like with me, with my job, you know, I work every other weekend. So, you know, if there's a day where it's been, you know, or if there's a week where it's been crappy weather all week or, or if like two years ago, I can't tell you, it rained almost every Saturday two years ago. And, uh, and then a Sunday would be like a crisp, cool morning calm. And it's like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, I think, you know, I think I should have the, the, the opportunity to make that choice as well as, especially for the, the guy who's working six days a week, five days a week, or five days a week with kids in sports and stuff like that. Sure. There, there's a lot worse things you can do with doing on Sunday than hunting. And sure, for, sure. For, so I, 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 I'm all in favor, and I hopefully next year in 2021 it's, it's legal all Sundays. I'd like to see that myself. Pennsylvania is a holdout here. For whatever reason, Pennsylvania, it is illegal to hunt on Sundays for most of the seasons. I mean, there's a few exceptions to that. There always have been for like coyotes and crows and things like that. But on the other hand, uh, not only hunting, but the o we're the only state in the country that makes it illegal to buy a car on Sunday. <laughs> you can't true. You can't buy a car on a Sunday. <laughs> I guess some people kind of like that so they can kind of look around without being heckled. <laughs> I can see that too, you know, but I but I, I think it would be better better than being having it forced upon us from the government, for example, to be a nice marketing image for a car dealership to say, hey, we're closed on Sunday morning. If you want to stop in and just look around, feel free to do so. That's, That's sort true. of thing. Yeah, they could always do it that way. So you always do it voluntarily as well. We shall see with Sunday hunting as well. Yeah, and, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, you know, if, if there's Sunday hunting, you know, my land will be posted or whatever. And that's fine. You know, as a landowner, you have every right. But the people who own their own land and the people who have public ground, I mean, you know, they, they should be able to choose that. Sure. I mean, if you're giving people permission to hunt, um, you have every right to tell them they can hunt every day there except for Sundays, if that's important to you. Um, so there's there's no reason. I totally respect that. I'm a big proponent of, of religious freedom, but also private property rights. And I think expanding hunting only improves the private property rights as well. Oh, my gosh. That was a long one. That was a long one. The Talking with Bungie episodes typically are going to be shorter than this. I have toyed with the idea of breaking this up into two parts, but I really hesitated to do that because the flow of the conversation, I just didn't couldn't find a good spot where I felt like, uh, you know, you could break it up and come back to it later. It just seemed like, man, I just want to hear what the next part is. I want to hear what the next piece of information is going to be. So I hope you got something out of that, and I hope you are enjoying the Talking with Bungie, Death by Bungie podcast. I certainly hope you are doing that. That is all for this episode, but I can promise you that Eric Barnes will be back. We have made plans to come back and talk in the future about scent control. We have made plans to come back and talk again about scouting and hunting state game lands as the season approaches. So stay tuned to these episodes. Subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you can't find it on that particular provider, make sure you're spelling Bungie correctly. B-U-N-J-I-E. Make sure you do that correctly, and that way your podcast app will have a little bit less difficulty finding it. If you just search under the term B-U-N-J-I-E, I'm betting you'll find it because there's probably not another Bungie 
on a podcast somewhere. Uh, that's not a real common name. <laughs> so I hope you're enjoying this stuff. I hope you easily can access it. Please let me know. Keep me posted. Check out deathbybungie.com. Go on there. You can leave me an email there. Uh, or you can leave me a voicemail right off your phone. You don't need any special equipment. You can leave me a fo- voicemail on there with your thoughts on anything, whether it's this episode, another episode, podcasts in general, the YouTube channel, what have you. If you want to leave me a message on there, it is free, and you can do it right from your phone in a voicemail format. Sign up for our free email newsletter on there as well. And until next time, all hail Bungie. Bungie. <laughs>